All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. If you don't have one with you, there's always one down in one of the chairs below, or you can open that up on your phone. Now, if you open up your phone, I don't expect you playing, you know, Candy Crush or anything like that, but, but you know, get your scripture out so we can read together as we dig through some of these verses. We've come a long way through the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and now we're in 7. And when I look back on what Jesus has taught us, sometimes I think I'm a bit overwhelmed that he expects me to live a certain way and there's no way that I'm going to ever be able to get there. I mean, it just, it seems like it's too much. It's more than I can personally achieve. And, and so why does he do that to me? Why does he expect so much out of me that knowing that I can't do this? I, mean, I don't know if you're with me on that, but being a Christian isn't an easy thing, at least when I read what Jesus is saying. So let's take a quick rundown of some of the things that he's taught us about here in this sermon. My sermons usually only focus on one major point. He nailed a whole bunch of them in his. So he talked about our pride. He talked about um, lust and, and doing things in order for other people to see how good you are as a person. He, he talked about fasting and giving and praying and anger and, and being an influencer in this world. Now, not, the, not like the TikTok influencers, all right, but, but an influencer who is a salt and light of this world. He talks about um, how we are supposed to, to, to uh, not really love our money, but love those around us. And he talks about anxiety and worry and, and even our judgmental attitudes. And I know I can't do all of this on my own. So why do we think Jesus expects us to accomplish this? I mean, it seems like he's setting me up for failure because there's no way I can do this. Actually, he's not. He's not setting up, up for failure. Jesus is actually getting ready to tell us how we're able to accomplish this, but not on our own strength. What he's going to tell us here is that we're going to discover in our text this morning, we just simply need to ask, to seek, and to knock. Knock, knock. Matthew. Matthew, do better be correct. All right. Knock, knock. Mark. Mark your words. Jesus is coming back. Knock, knock. Luke. Luke through the scriptures and you'll see I'm telling the truth. Knock, knock. Hatch. Bless you. All right. Now that I've got all that out of the way. But simply is what he's asking us. Ask. Seek, find. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Well, as we dig into our text this morning, there's, there's one thing that really hits me. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is marked by generosity. 
When we see this passage of Scripture, see, God's generosity, it, it, it may not be what you think it's going to be, but He is extremely generous to us. God isn't just going to give you lots of money because now you're a child of a king. He's not going to do that. He isn't going to fill your stockings this Christmas with lots of goodies because we all know that lots of goodies make us happy, right? God isn't going to do any of those things. But what God is, He's very generous about is making sure that our daily needs are taken care of, that we're supplied, especially if you ask and you seek and you knock. Not only is God generous, but He expects us to be generous as well with other people who are around us that we interact with. He expects us to extend His grace and His kindness and His compassion and His love and His generosity and His justice, just like He has done for us. This is who He is and this is who we should be. Now at times, that means that we are to be generous to others when we'd rather save that for ourselves or we'd rather spend it on ourselves. Now, it's, I'm not just talking about money. It's also about your time and your talent, your gifts, your abilities. Our conversation, maybe, or, or, or just a listening ear to somebody who needs someone to share with. Maybe it is your possessions, your toys and trinkets and little things that he wants you to be kind and share with other people. So let's begin with this first thing. God's generosity toward us. All right? Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. This is what he tells us. It's a simple process from his perspective. I mean, this really is about the remarkable nature of God. When we consider who he is. Now, before we get into the very nitty-gritty of what Jesus is talking about, I want us to pause for just a moment and consider how incredible it is to have a God who actually wants to give rather than take. A lot of the other gods that this world has worshipped, they take. They never give. And they only give if you have given first. All right? We have a God who wants to have a relationship with you rather than to use you and then push you aside. A God who truly wants for you to seek Him out so that you will find Him and then have a relationship with Him in His kingdom. Now understand this, this God, He doesn't owe you anything. He owes you absolutely nothing. Even though many of us have been going to church all of our lives, He doesn't owe us anything. I mean, and that kind of goes contrary to the way we are raised in society. Most people, they live by the standard that if, if they do something for you, you owe them in return, right? Scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That is not how God operates. And even though we do our, our best to maybe watch our language, maybe, uh, how we treat other people with kindness, even though we, we sing songs of praise as we've done this morning, even though we've come and we worship Him and, and we give generously in our offering, even though we, we take some sin completely out of the picture, there is still no reason that God owes us anything. He doesn't. 
You have not done anything for God to owe you. Listen how Paul describes Jesus' relationship to us in this world. He describes him as creator. So in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, 16, and 17, this is what Paul says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So what does he owe us? I mean, who are we to think that God who created all things in heaven and on earth and, and, and holds everything together, who gives life and breath and sustenance, who are we to think that he would owe me anything? Matter of fact, it's the other way around, isn't it? We owe him everything because everything that we are is because of him. And this is what makes it so incredible. We have no right to ask God for anything, and yet Jesus says, ask him. Seek him out, knock at that door, and, and he's going to open it. All right? He says that if we ask, that, that he's going to give us what we need. And if we seek him, he's, we're, we're going to find him. And if we knock, he is going to open the way for us to have this relationship with him in his kingdom. You see, the God of all creation wants to be very generous to each one of us. The one who holds the stars in his hands wants to provide generously to you. Now, it may not be the way we consider generosity. Someone once put it this way, I asked for strength. And God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I, I asked for wisdom, and, and God gave me problems to solve. I, I asked for prosperity, and God gave me a brain and energy to work hard. I asked for courage, and God gave me danger to overcome. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted, but I received everything I needed. Sometimes we perceive we know what is best for us, but God ultimately does. You consider this God who even knows your thoughts before you think them, who knows your words before you speak them, who knows the innermost aspect of who you are, even better than yourself because we can even deceive ourselves, but God cannot be deceived. He cannot be mocked. He knows us intimately. Yet, there are limitations to what God will give. He doesn't promise that he'll always remove trouble and heartache. He doesn't promise that you'll never have struggles or sickness or injury. He doesn't promise that you'll never have to wonder how you're going to pay next month's mortgage or phone bill. 
Some of those things just, he's going to give us the insight on how to go through those things in life. So let's think about what Jesus has already told us in his sermon. He's told us that we are to ask God. And we're supposed to also ask for his name to be honored as as holy and for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're told to ask God for our daily provisions and for the needs of those around us to be met. We are told to ask him for forgiveness when we sin and the strength to stand whenever we are facing temptations. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 13, Jesus told his disciples, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're commanded then to seek, and so we'll find. But what he commands us to seek is not the treasure that is in this world, but the treasures of heaven. So in Matthew 6, 33, he says, Seek first his kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. So it matters about where you're seeking. And then he tells us, not exactly where we should knock and which door we should go to. I mean, the last few sections here in his Sermon on the Mount, they're going to indicate a way that we're going to get into heaven. And it's only through him and through this narrow gate that he provides. But this is the confidence that, that we should have. We know that we can ask God to exalt himself in our lives and in his kingdom. And that he will meet our needs and the needs of those around us and that he will do it. Matthew 7 verse 8 says that for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and the one who knocks it'll be open. But how can we be sure? He goes on. Let's look again at verse 9, 10, and 11. He says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, there are a lot of people who are being raised in this world that aren't going to relate to what he is saying because they've not had a good father. They've had fathers who have abandoned them. They've had fathers who have been abusive to them. They've had fathers who just don't measure up to what God is saying here. And we might argue that this illustration really doesn't fit their lives. However, if you have a father who is at least halfway decent in this world, there is something that is similar in this. They still want their children to have good things. That seems to be common. Jesus says that if you ask your father for a loaf of bread, he most likely isn't going to give you a rock to break your teeth on. He's not going to do that. I mean, most, most fathers of kids aren't going to put their child in a position where you want this here. And they give you something totally different that deceives you into thinking that, that it's something that it really is not. Or he says, if you ask him for some fish, he's not going to try and deceive you with giving you a snake. Now, I kind of figured, what in the 
fish and snake, those are two different things. Well, when you start looking at some of those gar and that kind of stuff, and they're long nose and snout, and some, of the, some, some fish are even like eel-like, well, I can see where it might be a little bit of difference. They're not, he's not going to deceive you into thinking something that you might be hurt. Most dads have some concern for their children enough not to harm them intentionally and really want something that's good for them. Even as imperfect as we are, most fathers want things that are good for their children. And, and they enjoy it when it happens, when, they, when their kids get things that are good, especially if, if we're the one then who supplies it for them. But you know what? Even the best dads, even me, even you guys, most, the best of us, we're still sinners. I mean, that, that's just who we are. We have those selfish tendencies, and we may not want to get up and go play with our children or spend time helping them with their homework. We may not want to do things because it's an inconvenience for us. And there are still times when dads don't look out for their children the way they, they should. But still, we love to see our children enjoy life and get good things. So let's look again at how Jesus summed this up in verse 11. So he said here, If you then, who are evil, we know we're bad, we're not perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? As selfish and as imperfect as fathers can be, they still like to give good gifts to their children. So how much more than we can we expect God, who is the greatest father of all, he is the creator of all things, the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine, the God who is morally good and just and generous, give us good things that we need. So let's take a pause again for just a moment and go back through what we see Jesus talking about here in this sermon. He tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, verse 8, or verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18, he tells us that God is the one who sees what is done in secret and rewards us. He watches us in secret. And, and he, he rewards us when we do those things that are good and noble and righteous. He tells us in verse 8 of, of chapter 6 that God is the one who knows that what we need even before we ask. Isn't that an awesome? Someone who knows what you need before you ask. I mean, you walk into the restaurant and, and the waitress says, yeah, yeah, you're usual, right? I know what you need. Oh, you're changing up today. Let me try this for you, right? They know what you want before you ask. God knows before we even ask. God is the one who gives us our daily bread. We read that earlier in verse 11. Right? He's the one who feeds the birds so they don't go hungry in verse 16 of Matthew 6. He's also the one who clothes the flowers of the field and makes them beautiful. I remember flying in over the Netherlands one time, over the Amsterdam area, and looking down and all the tulips and the colors of the field. It was like a, like a beautiful quilt patchwork up there. I think, oh my goodness, beauty in its finest. Traveling through some of our states, like up in Nebraska, and looking at the sunflower fields, and as far as the eye can see, just beautiful yellow flowers. And if God 
will feed the birds of the air who don't work for their food. And if he will clothe the flowers of the field, how much more important are we than these things? You see, this is the same God whom Jesus says wants to give us good things. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James puts it this way. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift, every perfect gift, every gift that you've ever wanted in life that really makes life worth living, it's a gift from God. And He desires to give us good things. Now the rest of the New Testament teaches us that God isn't stingy with His gifts either. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. When was the last time you lavished somebody with something? I remember in college I got lavished with a bunch of balloons in my room. Filled the whole room, right? I mean, you don't need that many, right? I remember another guy got lavished with a bunch of empty soda cans in his room. He didn't need those either, right? I mean, lavish means going to the extreme beyond what you need. And, and, and here, Paul is telling us that, that God is willing to lavish upon us His grace, His mercy, His redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, future, more than you need. James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is a very generous God. We have to see Him that way. All right? So what do we do in response? Well, let's go back to what we've seen. We know that we're supposed to ask. We know that we're supposed to seek Him, and we'll find Him. We know that we're supposed to knock, and He's, he's going to open the way for us to get into that, that presence of Him. And, and our confidence is based on what we've done. It's not based on how good that we have been. All right? It's, based, it's not based on what we've done. Instead, the confidence is based on the fact that through Jesus' death, through His sacrificial gift for the propitiation of our sins to forgive us of everything that is unrighteous in us, and because of His Lordship, that He is not only dead, but He is raised again, and He is seated at the right hand of God because of that, we now have this opportunity to be adopted into His family. And we become a child of God. And in Christ, we can come to Him and ask boldly for Him to glorify Himself in and through our lives. To seek Him and to know Him more and to enjoy all that it means to be in His kingdom. He is a good, good Father. He's better than any this world has ever known, and He gives the best gifts to all of us Himself. Man, what a gift!
We're getting ready to enter into the Christmas season, and it's a, it's a season where we remember that, that he was born into this world, and we celebrate that wonderful baby, right? But that baby was sent here to die. What a gift to give us life that's everlasting. But, but this isn't the only way we respond by simply asking, seeking, and knocking. God expects us to be generous toward others also. It's just not gimme, 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 right? It, it, now it's all of a sudden, oh, now I've got to give, and I've got to be generous, and I've got to do for others, and, and, and I've got to provide for others, because this is what it means to be in a relationship with Christ. Not only do you receive blessing, but you are to be a blessing as well. Look at what he says there in verse 12. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now we call it the golden rule, right? I mean, that's, that seems to have taken on this, this wonderful uh, title. It's often referred to that as the golden rule because, like Jesus says, it sums up much of what Christian ethics it, 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 it's in a most, I learned a new word this week, braviloquent, all right? Sums up most of everything in a most braviloquent way. It takes all this wonderful thing about God and everything, and it puts it in a very short, concise statement. In fact, Jesus says it is the very essence of Old Testament law and prophets. Now, I remember earlier someone had asked Jesus, what do you say the greatest commandment is? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's telling us this is, this is the fullness of what the law speaks about. That we should, whatever we would want somebody to do to us, we should do it to them. All right? So, He's saying, so because of this, or as a result, or therefore, because of what has been expressed in light of what we've heard, you do this. And Jesus has just finished reminding us of how wonderfully compassionate God and gracious God is toward us. Therefore, we need to extend that same generosity toward other people. John explains it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, we're called to love in the same manner that God loves us to those around us. All right? We have a desire to be loved. They have a desire to be loved. And the way that we express that is by loving. Let's go back to what Jesus was saying here in this golden rule. In Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, he says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here Jesus told us how we should be cautious when we are 
judging those around us because we're going to be judged by that same standard. Not only that now, but he's telling us that how we treat others is important. Like we should treat them how we want to be treated, not just judging them with the same standard, but now how do you want people to treat you? Now you do that first. All right? No one wants to be treated very critically. They don't want to have someone else behave in a negative way toward them, and so we're supposed to have a positive impact. The general idea of this golden rule, it really it predates even Jesus' statement. I mean, we think this is the first time it's been said. It's not, but he has a little twist on it that we'll get at in just a moment. Confucius said this, Do not to others what you would not wish done to yourself. Right? Do not to others right, what you would not wish done to yourself. Socrates. Socrates said, What stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. The Stoics, the Greek Stoics, they had almost an identical tenet. And in the Old Testament Apocrypha, we find, Do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. All right. A similar saying is attributed to a rabbi, it was a great rabbi, by the name of Hillel. He was roughly a contemporary with Jesus, just before Jesus, but at that same time. Matter of fact, Hillel was the teacher of Gamaliel, who was the teacher of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. Right? So we're right in that general time frame. There's a story about Hillel's saying that it was, it was written later on in the, in, the, in the Babylonian Talmud, about three or 400 years after Jesus. But some trust that it's a very authentic statement, so they, they want us to understand it. So the story goes like this. On another occasion, it happened that a certain heathen came before Shammai. Now, Shammai, he was a conservative of Hillel, but he was more, um, he was more conservative as a rival teacher. So this Shammai, he came to, a certain heathen came to Shammai and he said to him, Make me a proselyte on condition that you teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. That was his condition. Shammai, teach me the, the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. Well, Shammai drove him out with a builder's cubit that he had in his hand. And, and when then he went, decided he would go before Hillel. And he asked Hillel to make him a proselyte. And Hillel said to him, okay. So he made him a, a student of his. And then Hillel says this as he's standing there on one foot. That will begin. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. That is it. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. Everything else is commentary. Go and learn. Now let's go back to what Jesus said. But Jesus doesn't talk about it in a negative way. When people hate you and people do this to you, don't do that to them. Don't, don't do those things. Don't do the hateful things to people. Jesus says in a positive way, what you want done to you, that's what you do. Right? So he turns avoidance into action. And we're to do first to others what we would desire them to do to us. Therefore, modeling generosity 
of the God who gave himself up for me to everybody else is what Jesus is asking. So that brings us back to another little subtle comparison. Remember that I said God doesn't owe us anything? But sometimes we get upset if God doesn't do what we want because we feel He owes us how we have behaved. We do, not, we do the same thing toward other people when they don't treat us the way that we expect them to treat us. Especially if we've gone out of our way to be really good and to be really kind and generous to them, and then they turn around and they come back at us with evil. And we say, well, this, this, this isn't working. God says, I'm supposed to do this, they're supposed to do that. And there's supposed to be this reciprocal response here. Let's go back and read that statement there in verse 12. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says, whatever you wish, whatever you want, whatever you desire, he doesn't say whatever you expect others to do. There's no expectation here. You don't do because you're going to get in return exactly the same thing you do. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? Well, it depends on how long their fingernails are, whether you want that to happen, right? You see, there's no qualification attached to the demands that are like-minded. God's kingdom is marked with generosity, and if we are to be a part of that kingdom, we are called to treat others how we would want to be treated, and we leave it there, whether they reciprocate that same treatment or not. And after all, this and this is what God does for us. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. We were without hope. And God, in His generosity, in His mercy and His grace, He gave us His only Son as that sacrifice for us that was then buried, raised to life, and now he says, I will give you an opportunity for eternal life in a wonderful relationship with me. When we ask for forgiveness of our sins, when we seek out the redemption that he offers, and when we knock at that door of salvation, which he alone provides, it's open for us through His body, which is, as Hebrews tells us, it is the curtain which offers us the opportunity to walk through to get into the holy presence of God. Jeremiah 29, 11, 13 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will all call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The author of Hebrews puts it this way as we kind of wrap things up. In chapter 4, beginning at verse 14 through 16, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, God answers prayer. But not always the way we expect. And you have to be okay with that. Or you're going to be very disappointed when your prayers don't line up with the will of God in your life. See, He wants what's best for you. And sometimes you don't want what's best for you. You just want what you think is best for you. Here's another takeaway. That once we're praying and seeking answers from God and understanding that His will becomes our will, we'll begin to see more of our prayers answered because they line up with His will. But if all I'm doing is seeking my will, the answer is probably going to be no. And He's going to answer, and it may be you're not getting it. And it may be you're going to get it, but a different way than what you're anticipating. We'll also discover that when we have those dry times, when we're praying in in uncharted and unfamiliar territory, we just simply need to trust the Lord to navigate us through what we're facing. In 1904, William Borden, he was heir to the Borden Dairy Empire, right? He graduated from a Chicago high school a millionaire. Now that's, yeah, wouldn't that be good? You know? And, and his parents gave him a trip around the world as a graduation gift. While he was traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he developed a burden for the world's hurting people. He wrote home to his parents and he said this, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made his decision, he wrote back, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words. These are the two words he wrote in the back of his, of his, of his Bible. No reserves. After he graduated Yale University, he turned down a rather high-paying job that was offered to him, and he wrote two more words there in the back of his Bible. No retreats. He's going to continue moving forward. He then completed his studies at Princeton University, and Borden then sailed for China to work with the Muslims in China. But on his way, he stopped in Egypt to prepare a little bit more before he actually got there. While he was in Egypt, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis, and he died within a month. And we think, what a waste. What a waste. I mean, all the preparation that he had gone into this, he's got the resources financially to go anywhere in the world and to take with him that gospel message. And he studies and he, he develops and devotes himself to, to learning how he's going to take this and be this mission. And then he is gone. What a waste. But not in God's plan. You see, once again, in the back of his Bible, he wrote two more words under no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. We are called to live lives that honor Christ, and we ought to be gracious toward others because that is how our Father in heaven has been toward us. 
He has been so loving and so kind and so generous and so gracious and so merciful. Why would we not want to be like that and then treat people with the same? Some of you here this morning need to change the way maybe you see your Heavenly Father. You need to see Him as a Father who runs beside you when you really understand He could leave you in the dust. He doesn't need to take you with Him. A father who could have obliterated you, instead he chose to redeem you. A father who has been given countless reasons to run from us, instead he continues to run to us. He wants us. He desires to have relationship with us. So much so that he came into this world to relate to us. So we could be made like him. Holy and righteous, not by our own standards, not by anything we have done, but He clothes us in His holiness. He robes us in His righteousness. He purifies us and He makes us perfect when we know we are totally imperfect. And for those who have put their faith and their trust in Him, He is with you even in the thick of things. If you've never accepted the gift that He offers, that gift of redemption, the gift of the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of life that could be everlasting, why would you not want to receive that? I mean, what is it that's keeping you from, from saying, yes, I want that. I want to have a relationship with a God who loves me so much that He gave Himself up for me. This morning may be a wonderful opportunity for you. We're going to sing. As we sing, if you have something you want to share on your heart, come down and talk with me. We'll pray about it. We'll walk through. If you catch me afterwards, we'll deal with other. There's other people here in this church that would love to sit down and have this conversation with you. Say, let's walk through this and, and surrender your life to Christ. But don't let another day go by without it. Let's pray.